0: This is Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. A lot of us have a tormented relationship with social media. We love it, we hate it, especially right now, and really any time there's a massive world event, it can be tough. Absorbing information about the most awful things going on at any particular moment is rough. But right now we're also seeing debate about when to add to that chorus. When is silence complicity? And when are we obligated to speak up even if we're not experts? Is there a point where it's okay to say nothing? Rather than
1: putting energy towards raising awareness and educating, so much energy was immediately going towards anger, not at Hamas, not at Israel, but at those who didn't post on Instagram yet.
0: Writer Rachel Greenspan joins us in just a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back to Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. Let's stay off social media for the rest of the weekend, checking in when we need to, but remember when you see really dangerous.
1: No, I've had to click myself several times now, and I honestly don't know what
0: to say. But the part I keep coming back to is that the entire world turned its back on the people in Gaza and they said, make sure you take care of your mental health. The only thing that they want is somebody to bear witness and not forget them. You're hearing a clip of TikTok user Imani Barbarin responding to Under the Desk News, a popular account. If this viral exchange didn't show up in your feed last week, something like it probably did. There are intense conversations happening everywhere about our responsibility to engage with what's happening in Israel and Palestine. It's a rapidly changing situation over there, and we will not be debating what is happening exactly. but. This is a fraught moment in world history and it's sometimes difficult to talk about some of what's happening in the world. As you've probably seen in your social media feed, things can get heated when people choose to state their opinions. Things can get emotional, understandably so. It's hard for a lot of us to know a lot about what's going on because there's a lot going on. So when do you know that you're well-informed enough to state your opinion? When does your perspective matter enough that you need to state your opinion? Who might be helped or hurt when you post on social media? And as things change by the hour, can we even be sure that what we're saying is true? We've all grappled with these kind of questions. If not right now, then during another historic moment in history. And our guest today argues that, you know what? It's okay to ask all of these questions, sit with them and decide I'm not going to (laughs) post. That guest is Rachel Greenspan, a social strategist and writer. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Celeste. Thank you for having me. So I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I want to let you state your opinion yourself. It sounds as though what you're saying is it's okay to keep your opinion to yourself. Is that sort of the elevator pitch?
1: I would say that that's that's pretty uh pretty on point. I think to summarize it myself, I will say you don't have to post. Period. Um I think I think that's really the crux of it. I think for me it's not necessarily a matter of privacy or a matter of an opinion not being valid or worthy enough to share with the public. It's more specific to the way we use social platforms. There is this pressure that everyone needs to share their opinion all the time. And I'm just here to say, my belief is that is not true. You do not need to, it's a kind of false belief that we've all really internalized over the last few years.
0: And you had this this great piece that you wrote for MSNBC and the headline was why I'm not expecting my friends to make social media posts about Israel. You know, I'm in, I'm in an odd position on this show and in this, you know, debate. I don't. I'm not sure if I disagree with you because I, I'm, I'm grappling with this also. In some ways, I disagree with you. In many ways, silence is complicity when there are issues of violence against a, a people. Um, I, in many ways, I think that not educating people about the Holocaust, not educating the fact that Nazis were regular people who lived down the street, turning them into monsters who were the villains in Indiana Jones, has made people think that you know, it couldn't happen again. Um, and so in some ways, I think that there is a necessity to talk about it more and that everyone should be talking about it. But on the other hand, I also agree with you that what most people are saying on social media is uninformed and uneducated and harmful. Now, I'm really glad that you brought that up
1: because that's something, you know, as you said, we're grappling with this in real time, it's something I'm grappling with in real time, of course, as well. Um, when I started writing my piece for MSNBC, something I really wanted to try and make clear is I don't mean this as kind of like a, a a rule hard line of if you are not famous, shut the fuck up and never say anything on Instagram. That's definitely not my opinion. Right. I'm So I completely agree. Of course, there are many cases wherein it is necessary for education, for spreading awareness. And there have been several polls in the last few years, particularly as it relates to Black Lives Matter about grassroots social media activism, um, largely among people who are not famous, who are just people you went to high school with or were in a sorority with or played a sport with. Those people are actually having um, impacts on public opinion. And so we've seen public opinion shift in terms of Black Lives Matter, in terms of policing in America, in terms of police brutality. These things are becoming more understood, more talked about, and People are changing how they previously thought about it and adapting to beliefs that activists have been have been seeking ways forward with. And the same has happened with Israel and Palestine in the last several years, particularly in 2014. Social media was really instrumental in making Americans see the plight of Palestinians um, in a way that they previously hadn't, because we know that Zionism has been really so ingrained into a lot of elements of American culture. And I mean, especially in American Jewish culture. So, of course, there is this huge element of awareness and of shifting public opinion and perception. It is powerful when it's coming from someone you know. What I think is that can't be the case for every single thing that matters to every single person because then, to me, it really does kind of dilute its power because already what we're seeing is so much fatigue with what's been posted because, as you said, Celeste, it's not necessarily all super-informed uh, you know, kind of nuanced opinions. Most of what's being shared and being most viral is really kind of off base and incendiary in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, we're going to take a We're going to have to take a break here, Rachel, Um, but there's stuff to talk about here. Obviously, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a moment to talk more about whether... It's okay to be silent or not when there's violence happening in the world. I'm talking to Rachel Greenspan. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. We'll be right back. And we're back. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. And we're talking today with Rachel Greenspan, writer and social strategist. We're talking about whether or not when... Violence is happening, especially when you believe a wrong is occurring in the world. Do you need to speak up? And and I I guess that's sort of where we are, right? There there's a wrong occurring somewhere in the world, and that's usually when people say uh, uh, sh- a voice an opinion. They either express sympathy, right, Rachel? They express sorrow or outrage. Either. They're angry at the Palestinians or Hamas. In this particular case um, or moment in history, they're angry at the Israeli government. Um, In other cases, they're angry at somebody else, right? They're angry at a school shooter. They're angry at whomever is they think rioting. Whatever it may be, there's outrage. And so they go on social media and they express that outrage. And you were just at this moment saying that there is value in that. There's a value in a chorus of voices raising protests to behavior that should be socially sanctioned. Right? Mm-hmm. Of course. It sounded like you were leading to a but. <laughs> um, not necessarily a but,
1: more of a yes and, if we go the improv okay. route. Um, <laughs> I- I- if I may back up a little bit into, I think the the kinds of content that led me to sharing this opinion in, in an article, and I, and I had tweeted about it, and now we're talking about it here. I wasn't looking at posts that were saying, I'm heartbroken, I'm traumatized, I'm devastated, and me going, How dare you post that? I was seeing, of course, a lot of that, as we all were. Social media is full of all these kinds of sentiments of trauma, hurt, horror, devastation. I felt it too. I'm Jewish. I have actually, my best friend and her husband were in Israel visiting family on October 7th when. The, the killing started. So, you know, I, I'm not so far removed from this that I, you, you know, so I, I had been actually personally very upset for days and very scared and, and confused and, you know, looking at the internet as we all do every day, even when there's not horror going on. Um, and so much of what I was seeing in that state was not necessarily only the news and those sentiments of devastation, but so much of If you are silent, you are the problem. If you aren't posting, your Jewish friends remember. If you aren't posting, I'm going to never forget that you were silent on this. And I'm just like, to me, that's like a huge manipulation and misunderstanding of that power of using social media uh, in protest. like you said, Celeste. I think, to me, when a massacre just occurred days ago, and those who follow the news know that that means that Israel's going to retaliate and many innocent Palestinians are going to die as a result of this, we aren't sure exactly what we should post on Instagram. For me, A, why would that be your first thing? And if it is, great. If it's not, why is that expected of you? Um, Again, for example, my friend was literally fleeing the country as this was happening I'm a Jew. I hadn't posted anything about it because I didn't feel like it at the moment. I was upset and there was nothing I felt I had to say that was going to add value. And suddenly all these posts are telling me, they're basically yelling at me for not posting. And so I think to me, the issue is is largely also in that fact of, you know, Celeste, like you said, a lot of times silence is complicity. And I totally agree with that. I think in this case, it was kind of so striking that rather than Push, putting energy towards raising awareness and educating on why this is so awful and why this is so complicated and why people are so devastated, so much energy was immediately going towards anger, not at Hamas, not at Israel, not at Jews, not at wherever it might be, but at those who didn't post on Instagram yet. To me, that's where I really said, okay, that clearly there is an issue here because the fact that that's where this energy is going shows that, A, these platforms have become a little bit misunderstood in how that power is supposed to be used. But B, I think people are perhaps even, and Celeste, I really love to hear your thoughts on this. I, I feel that there's a level of envy from people for who's for example, Amy Schumer posted, you know, I, st- I stood with the LGBTQ community and and I stood with the oh, black God. community and I stood with the Asian community. Yeah. And then I stood alone because I'm a Jew was literally what she posted. So I'm like, okay, that's really oh, perfectly God. putting into words. Right. It's like there has to, there's this kind of almost icky uh, sentiment please, that's kind of implicit in that. don't
0: be Amy Schumer. Please do not I be know. Amy Schumer. I don't know Amy Schumer personally. Just don't be Amy Schumer. Celeste, we definitely agree on that. Just don't post like Amy Schumer right now. At Please least. don't. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there is, uh, and I I don't know your your family upbringing. I know my family, you know, having grown up with people who survived the Holocaust. Um, there was a constant chorus in my family of never again, constantly speaking about it. Never again, never again, never again. Right? Um constantly talking about it constantly bringing up and i mean as a kid i was like oh my god do we have to talk about the holocaust again do we have to (laughs) watch fiddler on the roof again right um but there was a point to all that right you know and we have forgotten so much of that history all of these people who are complaining about palestinian refugees seem to have forgotten that Jewish refugees were turned away from the United States and from Canada and from other com- countries and died as a result. They've forgotten the story of the SS St. Louis that was turned away when they tried to take refuge. And and so there's a, there is to a certain extent a point to talking about all of this and making it part of every day i mean that's the point of social media right is to democratize public speech to make it so that it's not just politicians and the kardashians and gwyneth paltrow who get a bullhorn it's regular people
1: right right so i totally agree with that but i think for me what's interesting too is i would push back a little bit on on something you just said celeste People are talking about Palestinian refugees, having these similar conversations to, of course, what was spoken about uh, during the Holocaust, which obviously was very recent. We know in history, it's within the last 100 years that this happened. Yeah. This happened to our families and our community and our friends, and, and that's very real. How do you know that that sentiment is absent of the other, right? Like how, how, So just I just think it's interesting that a lot of this conversation is framed as, you're saying this about not just you. This is something I'm also seeing in a lot of this viral content is, you know, people are saying this about Palestinians. Okay, but what about how are you how why aren't you saying, oh, but the Holocaust? I don't necessarily agree that you'd have to immediately invoke the Holocaust in order to reference the plight of Palestinians today. So I'd just be curious what your thoughts are on that.
0: Wait, I'm not sure I understand the question. Do you mean that we, in order to have empathy and compassion for Palestinians, we don't need to compare it to the Holocaust? Is that what you're asking me?
1: Why can't we have both at the same time? Like, I feel that whenever people talk about empathy for Palestinians, it becomes a us versus
0: them thing. I'm, I just don't totally. Oh, I don't mean us versus them. I'm trying to say, look why why wouldn't how can you have sympathy how can you say the holocaust was terrible but then also say we should turn away palestinians that to me seems yeah those don't match yeah i was saying you cannot say that we needed to learn the lessons of the holocaust and at the same time say don't accept palestinian refugees those things don't match
1: Right, exactly. And then so so 100 percent agree. And what f- makes me uncomfortable, especially as an American Jew, is again, back to the just since social media is what brought us here. So much of this content now that I'm seeing from so many American Jews who are very, very pro-Israel, very passionate in continuing to post about um, kind of in a dissent of pro-Palestine, pro-Palestinian voices. Right. And a lot of them are expressing this idea of, you um, Okay, well, we, Jews have no other choice. The Holocaust happened, so Israel has no choice right now but to basically harm these Palestinian civilians. Like that's really a lot of what people are saying. And to me, I'm saying I feel that's kind of an inappropriate invocation of of what happened to our people, right? Like to me, that says because Jews had it happen first, then it doesn't matter as much. I don't understand. I, to me, I, yeah, um, right. And I think most of my that I agree of, with you, which, are, yeah. Right. And I think I had a very similar upbringing of I will say none of my family lineage um, was directly a victim of the Holocaust. So I should say that, too. You know, I there's a huge privilege in that as a Jew um, to be able to say that my family was all already in the U.S. or at least en route such that th- no one was actually harmed. So there is a huge privilege in that. And I've been there saying is. that That's to my Jewish lucky. friends. Yeah, it really is. And so I also uh, want to point that out to say, you know, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's important to, to recognize your privilege when talking about these things. Um, also Celeste noted you're black and Jewish. I am white and Jewish. We're obviously in a podcast people can't necessarily see. So just, the, I have, I have elements of, I have many elements of, of privilege in this conversation too. So I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. But anyway, back to, sorry, back to the, uh, the <laughs> Holocaust point, right. I, I just, back to the Holocaust. Uh, I agree that, you know, being raised in a Jewish family, um, I mean, I'm a, I am ai was raised a conservative American Jew with kind of like progressive-leaning families, but very, very strong on Israel. I don't think I knew that it was a thing to question the Israeli government until I was like probably 16 or 17 years old, right? Like I think a lot of American same. Jews have had that same experience. And I think there are a lot of like 30-year-old American Jews who today are having that realization of, oh, wait, yes. we questioned the Israeli government. I think that it, the, the level of... um the level to which zionism is a part of jewish education in the us is pretty impossible to to overstate right cuz it's right. part of
0: you eat it you drink it you breathe it right. growing up yeah right
1: And I think the word propaganda is being thrown out a lot in this conversation. So I don't necessarily want to dilute what I'm saying by using that word. But I do feel having been having experienced it as a child, I do feel there's a level of propaganda. Well, to that, I would argue also, well, Rachel, everything is propaganda if you think about it. Um, But that's another conversation. All that to say, my understanding of the Holocaust and of what my Uh, kind of feelings on it as a Jew should be are never again, not just for Jews, but for everyone. So I find it so uncomfortable and disrespectful to see so many Jewish voices who are so quick to be so hypercritical of people who are trying to help Palestinians and so quick to say that if someone says free Palestine, that's anti-Semitism to me that is really ignoring the lessons that we should have learned by the Holocaust. And it's kind of centering our own experiences such that um, we almost think that the Holocaust is worse than any atrocity that's ever happened in mankind and ever can happen. And nobody else in the world can ever know the horror. I, I just think it's a it becomes a really sketchy argument if anything that you're saying isn't is. Inv- is in any way saying, oh, but the Holocaust and using it as almost a crutch. I saw a really interesting perspective the other day. I forget who it was, some some journalists had written that um, the Israeli government seems to use Jewishness as a shield. So basically the Israeli government and its military can do anything it wants in retaliation against Hamas because, oh, because we are Jews, because the Holocaust happened, because anti-Semitism is pervasive, We can do anything to protect ourselves, any means necessary, harming any civilians. And I'm not necessarily here to make an argument for or against any military action. You know, that's I don't think necessarily what we're talking about. I just think that perspective is super interesting. And it really, I think, goes into a lot of what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, um, we're going to take another break, but whoo. I, I mean, I figured it wouldn't be too very long before we got into uh, Zionism. Um, and here we are, um, which means, boy, we're going to get emails. And we want them. We want to get emails. Um, but <laughs> we're going to get back to talking about whether we need to post about this. Whatever you may think <laughs> about the Holocaust, Zionism, Benjamin Netanyahu, <laughs> do you need to post it on social media is that required do people expect you to do so and if you are asked to do so or asked why you didn't how you should respond we're going to be talking about all of that more when we come back from a break i'm talking to rachel greenspan and uh we'll be back in a moment this is hear me out a podcast from slate And we're back. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. I'm Celeste Headley. And with me, this is Rachel Greenspan. What we're talking about is, uh, do you have to talk? <laughs> do you have to talk publicly about things that happen in the world, especially when they are... Um, controversial, especially when someone else is being hurt. Now, we're not talking about you, um, standing on the street corner and somebody gets slapped. Do you have to intervene? That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the bystander effect. We're talking about when world events are occurring, do you need to go on to Instagram or X, which is what Elon Musk's platform is now called or whatever it is that you use and, uh, state your opinion. Rachel Greenspan says, no. In fact, the world may be better if you don't. This has long been uh, a piece of advice that you will not regret the things you don't say. However, it's also been said that when it comes to the oppression of uh underrepresented groups, when it comes to violence against especially racial minorities, uh, religious minorities, um, silence is complicity. We know this from history. And so when we see events happening in the world, look at Me Too. Me Too became a movement because so many regular women went onto social media and spoke up and said, literally, Me Too. And so, Rachel, what about those instances in which women were incur- women and men were encouraged to go online to social media and say, just add your voice to this? And it became a movement that, although it did not achieve everything that we needed it to achieve, um, it did achieve some things. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, specific to Me
1: Too, I, I have no intellectual qualms about... The social media posting, I think that was an example wherein of like we've talked about already, you know, Black Lives Matter, shifting people's perceptions around uh, policing in the U.S. and the treatment of black Americans. I, of course, that use of social media was kind of an integral tool, right, in kind of changing perception and making people understand. And I think that we all lived through that on social media. So that's part of what's impacting our perception today of what am I going to say when I see another injustice? Like you said, um, it continues to be a powerful tool. So this is where we have to get into perception versus kind of objective realities of something that's going on. I think in the issue of Israel and Palestine, for my entire life, I've been told it's complicated, but da 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 I think today, a lot of people are still saying it's complicated, but kind of here's my opinion. And I think There are a lot of people using that it's complicated to couch their opinions on whether they're really, really pro-Israel or really, really pro-Palestine. A lot of people are like leaving that in as kind of a, okay, well, don't cancel me too much. Don't be too mad at me. I know it's complicated, but here's what I'm going to say about it. And I'm going to say my piece. I think the reason people are saying it's so complicated, well, it is so complicated, but I think part of what I'm seeing there is the perception of the wrongdoing is becoming really extreme and sometimes misinformed. And so I think there are a lot Wait, of- Wait, let me
0: hear what well, you just said. The yeah. perception of the wrongdoing is sometimes very extreme and and misinformed.
1: Yeah, I can give an example. Okay. I know that was maybe vague. So what I mean is, for example, I've uh, yesterday I saw one widely spread Instagram post that many people I know had, had shared it on their Instagram stories, but I had seen it from- A similar sentiment on in the last several days. And it's it was like a quote on a post. And it said, if protesters um, were saying free Palestine from Hamas, then sure, I would agree. But they're saying free Palestine and following it with gas the Jews. So how is this okay? I I swear to God. Exactly. That is exactly the point. So I have seen so many posts like that that are suggested, that are, I mean, there that's blatant misinformation. That's not true that when you talk to most people who support the Free Palestine movement, they're following that with gas. The First of all, what a specific quo. That makes no sense. But- even if the it's not even true to say that most people who support a free Palestine and support that movement are, quote unquote, anti-Semitic. You cannot make you cannot say like that's just not true. It's just not true to say.
0: This week, as we record this, they had the largest Jewish protest in support of Palestinian rights in u.s history um, at, at the capitol so keep going i'm sorry to interrupt you
1: no 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 please that was great and and you know similar protests have happened throughout new york city there was last friday this i live in new york um, and there was a huge widespread concern on last friday morning um that there was going to be this day the day of jihad which was a viral i would say really fear-mongering moment among american jews where jews were saying a leader at, at in Hamas had made some remarks suggesting that, you know, people, that this was going to be a big day of protest. In the end, nothing really happened. There was no anti-Semitic violence. In fact, a Palestinian child in Chicago
0: was killed. Um, I was just going to say, I, I know that you're not saying this, but I want to point out for our listeners um, that neither one of us is downplaying the danger of anti-Semitism or anti-Palestinian yes. and anti-Muslim rhetoric. There has been a rise in anti-Semitic feeling. There is a danger for Jewish people. There has been anti-Jewish violence. And and there have been very violent incidents. That That's not what Rachel is saying here. You're, she's talking specifically about misinformation and how that get, plays out over social media.
1: Thank you, Celeste. I also should say much of my reporting on Internet culture has been pegged to right-wing extremism, and which is often anti-Semitism baked in there. Um, Almost all the time it is. And so I've written a lot about anti-Semitic violence in the United States and um, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and how QAnon is born out of anti-Semitism and centuries of it. Um, So I should also note (laughs) that I'm coming at it from that perspective. So I think for me, I know that a lot of people in the world hate Jews and want us dead. So to me, that's not the big takeaway from this, from the Hamas attack on Israel, to me, the takeaway is not Jews worldwide that are in danger. We are, we always are, we always have been. We're, a, we're a persecuted group. Their anti-Semitism is down the street. I live in literally New York City, one of the most progressive parts in the country, and there's tons of people who hate Jews in this city. So to me, that's not the surprise. That's not the takeaway. Um, not to say again, not to discount any of the violence and not to discredit the anti-Semitism that is baked into. The horrible violence enacted by Hamas. That is just to say, I think it's really also not doing a service to any of us to act as though this is the evidence of anti-Semitism in our world. If you've been paying attention to the rise of Trumpism in the United States, anti-Semitism is, is really has been here and it is here. It's not evidenced only by this moment. I think that's a distraction from these other issues that maybe you should be posting about too. And so that's where it brings me back to my original point of I don't agree that this is the moment where Jews need to stand up and this is when Jews need to to say we're persecuted. I think we should have been saying it, and many of us have been saying it. I don't think that whether you post it on Instagram in the last two weeks is relevant at all. And again, back to that one wild post that we just talked about where someone said, oh, if you're saying free Palestine, but then you're following it with gas the Jews— that's blatant misinformation that's just not true and so all you're doing is telling people that jews are it's it's mis it's uh, it's explaining inaccurately that jews are in danger and it's doing it for in a lot of ways political motivations because what you're talking about is israel's military government response like you're basically getting into foreign policy debates if you're going to make arguments around what israel should or shouldn't be, be doing in reaction
0: and in retaliation and what palestinians should or shouldn't be feeling so we're getting ready to wrap this up and i i don't know and probably our listeners can figure out i'm not sure if i fully disagree with you because i don't i know that i get really irritated by a lot of posts things that people post online i don't know that i've made a list or or really kind of articulated which posts irritate me. I know that they are the ones that, as mm. you say, include misinformation. I know that they are the ones that um, state a definitive opinion, but that definitive opinion is based on untruths or a complete misunderstanding of the issues. I, I hate the posts that speak for other people. Um, somebody who is not a Jew saying, Jews hate whatever it may be, or Jews feel blah, 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 blah. I don't like when people speak for others, in other words. Um, I also don't like the ones that are totally useless. As I I mentioned earlier, the thoughts and prayers equivalent of why why bother? This doesn't mean anything. Um, But I have to get back before we end. I want to sort of give you the last word here because I have to go back. There's a part of me that sort of hesitates to say don't post because I know there is a power in expressing outrage and we have seen that power in past years do kind of miraculous things we have seen the attention paid to police violence because of the outrage over videos of of um, African Americans being shot being brutalized by police officers in the United States we have seen the Arab uprising um oh and again although that didn't turn out the way many people hoped there was an uh, a global attention paid to um the 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 hope for uh democracy in many places like Tunisia and other and Egypt and other places um I have seen um This urge to post opinions, this urge to share and reshare and post, I have seen that draw attention to issues that people, especially Americans, never even cared about before. Parts of the country they didn't think about and really they just went around in their bubbles and didn't give a single thought to. And so I guess that's sort of what has me hesitating to fully buy in, Rachel. So let me give you the last word here. What do you think? My opinion is not that you should not post.
1: My opinion is, before you post, think about the source. Think about why you want to post it. Think about who you hope sees it and what you hope they will get out of it. And think about, is this something that's really valuable to add to a conversation that is already, in this case of Israel and Palestine, already so saturated in all of our feeds? And so overwhelming for so many of us and so emotional for so many of us. Just ask yourself questions before you feel that urgency and feel I need to say something and I need to reshare this onto my story. Really consider what you're doing and ask, could I just not say this? Could I just not add this into everyone's eyesight? Because this is real life when we it, we think about social media as not being real life, but it is, especially if you're not a public figure. You, what you're saying is coming from you and it's going into the ears of everyone who's following you. And just think about what that's going to do, why you want to do it. And so just everyone, if I can impart any type of wisdom, just give yourselves the opportunity to not feel that kind of urgent gut, I need to share this The second I see this in my feed and also give grace to all of your friends and your peers and your colleagues and take everything with a grain of salt and try not to hold everyone's social media activities so closely against them.
0: I mean, I think that's that's probably pretty good advice. (laughs) I think that's that's probably pretty good advice. I, I mean, that's not bad. Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you so much. What a great conversation. Phew. Okay. So there were a lot of things said, and I am willing to bet you have thoughts (laughs) about many of them. We want you to share them with us, (laughs) even though we just spent a bunch of time talking about the fact that you don't need to share your opinions. This isn't social media. This is a podcast, and we want you to email us your opinions. So send it to hearmeoutatslate.com com. Last week, we had Christian Barnard on the show. He argued that civics education cannot save democracy. That was one of those conversations, uh, yet another one, where we could have talked for hours, and we are so glad that you have continued this conversation for us. Before we go, we want to share a note we got from a listener named Robert. Robert wrote this, I find demands for teaching civics in school both laughable and nauseating. I say that because I've taught the subject for most of the past 15 years. The problem is not that we don't teach it. The problem is, first, it's simply not something the average teen gravitates to. Second, the ones that care tend to be products of parental indoctrination. So the current model trends towards teaching the structure of government in an ideologically neutral manner. It means biting your tongue when disinformation is part of the discussion. It's not worth it to fight social media battles in the class at the expense of one's career. When millions of adults believe in massive election fraud, 40 Minutes of Me is an exercise in futility. So first of all, thank you for your service, Robert. I cannot imagine what it must be like, and I hope you have very good self-care routines. I always love to get your emails. We all do. The whole team loves to get your emails. And we welcome all of you to use that email address, slate.com and send us your thoughts. Hear Me Out is a podcast from Slate. The show is produced by the very vocal, Laura Curry. Ben Richmond is our Senior Director of Podcast Operations. And Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. Until next time, do speak your mind, but keep it open.